Jeff is not feeling well, and so I got the call to pinch hit. It's been a long time, but I'm going back to what I never quite got to finish. So we're going back to the book of Philippians. Open your Bibles, head back to uh, the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 4. There was a time, I don't know, it's been a couple years now, but uh, I was trying to work my way through the, the book of Philippians and in preaching and uh, just the way things happened, I never got to finish it. I've covered, got to cover up through Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Uh, so today, we're going to go ahead and read um, Philippians four ten through 20, and I want to uh, specifically look at the first three verses there, 10, 11, 12, and 13. I guess that's four verses. I can do math. Um, so let's go ahead and, and read that passage, Philippians 4, 10 through 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, before we get into this, let's, let's bow in prayer again. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at your word this morning. I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for the peace and the comfort, the joy that we can have in you, knowing that you have sent your son Jesus, to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sins so that through faith in him, we can have forgiveness and we can trust in you that you will work in us uh, through your Holy Spirit, that you will conform us more and more into your image, no matter what happens in this life, whether it's good circumstances, whether it's bad circumstances, whether we are in need, whether we have plenty, Lord, you are our comfort. Lord, we pray that we would be content to have you and to be taught by you no matter where we find ourselves. And Lord, we ask today that as we focus at, on these verses that you will help each and every one of us to understand, to realize uh, how you want us to view our life and our circumstances and Lord, I pray that this would just be a good 
wake-up call for all of us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege of of coming to uh, Philippians this morning. I ask that you would speak through me. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So, I'm going to let you guys in on the ground floor of an exciting event. I've been doing a lot of research, and I have found the key to success in life. Are you excited? It's groundbreaking. Actually, well, it's been around for a while, but I have rediscovered it. And in fact, I've been doing a lot of research. I've written a book about it. And the public television stations have picked up on this. And so I'm going to have a special on PBS, How to Be Successful in Everything You Do by Ryan Peterson. <laughs> and you guys are invited. You can, you can buy my book. You can go to the, the taping of those sessions. Um, and there's going to be a lot of great stuff, a Blu-ray, all that. And it's only going to cost you, you know, a little bit, but it's worth it because I have found the key to success in life. Do you believe me? <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> but that sounds real good, doesn't it? And I'm always amazed when I'm flipping through the channels and I come to PBS and, you know, they have so many things on there with these guys who have done the, the, the brain research or the scientific stuff or the, they've rediscovered uh, these old ways of living that somehow will, will guarantee success in your life. You're going to make it, you know, anything that you face, if you just follow this, whatever it is, you'll have, have success. And that's what we want, isn't it? As, as people, we, we kind of crave this idea of, I want to be successful all the time. I never want to lose. I never want to be wrong. I always want to be right. I always want to win. I always want to know what to say. I always want my job to be great. I want my house to not fall apart. I want it to be really nice. I want my car to be really nice. I want success in life, right? And sometimes we're, we're tempted even as Christians to say, you know what? If God loves me and he's for me, then what? then I should succeed, right? I should have all this stuff. I should, be, I should be prospering. I should be doing well because God loves me. It's tempting, isn't it? But is that the reality that we see in Scripture? Please say no. <laughs> it's not, right? There, we're repeatedly told, hey, you're going to have trials. You're going to have all kinds of stuff that... Uh, that happen, that go on. You will not be successful every, in every endeavor of your life. It won't happen. Now, if I, you know, had this 
great idea and was trying to pitch a book. And my title was, um, you win some, you lose some, but here's how to be happy regardless. Like, I don't know, I might sell some, but it's not quite as good as success all the time, right? But that is, um, that is a, a dream that we have that is not based in reality. And it's not based in what God really wants for our lives. If you read through the New Testament at all, if you read the life of, of Paul, if you read um, in James, you see that he talks about you know, trials and all these bad things that happen. But then the interesting thing is that we catch these glimpses of how these trials and these persecutions actually turn out well and how Paul can actually, uh, in the midst of bad things, can have peace and can have joy and can uh, revel in his relationship with God. And that, friends, is what we should really be striving for. Not necessarily success, always being right, never failing, but we should be striving for contentment in any and every circumstance, any situation. Because the reality is, we get sick. Our jobs, well, they're here one day, and then the next day we come in and, oh, we're restructuring. Or something. And now you're back in the job market. Things that we want to count on, things that we want to strive for and, and place our happiness and our contentment in will fail us. But these verses here that, that we're going to focus on are the, the cure for that false hope, for that false dream. So let's look again at those first couple of verses. I want to read verses 10 through 13 uh, one more time. So Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, as Paul starts out here, verse 10, he begins basically a thank you to the Philippians. The Philippians, if, if you remember, maybe you were here when I preached on it before, but the Philippians were a unique church. They had a, a unique relationship with Paul. They were very supportive of him. Uh, Paul did a lot of work there. And the unique thing was that they didn't... Um, when Paul left, they didn't just say, well, see you later. Good luck. They, they continued to support him. They continued to encourage him. They continued to track where he was and try and help him whenever he was in need. And so this is 
uh, verse 10, when he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. What he's saying is basically, thank you, Philippians, because I'm receiving help. I'm receiving encouragement from you again. And some people could, could read that and maybe see that as, as negative, like he's saying, oh, well, you guys didn't care about me for a long time, but, but now you're starting up, so good job. And it doesn't have that tone to it. Um, it's not like Paul is chastising them for not supporting, and then the Philippians heard about it, and they go, oh, Paul's complaining about us. I guess we better send him some money. Um, no, it's, it's not that at all. It's just that Paul is traveling so many different places and he's, he's busy, he's doing all kinds of things. And back in the day, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have cell phones. And so to try and keep track of where Paul was and what he was doing was a, a significant feat because he was in one city one day, he was in another city the next day, and he was going all over the place. And information was slow getting back to the Philippians. But whenever they figured out where he was and is he being taken care of? Does he have any needs? When they heard that, if there was something that they could help with, they would send it. And so that's the situation here. Paul is just saying, I've, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length, so it's been a while since, they, since they've been able to connect, but at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. See, that's the key. They've been concerned the whole time. They just haven't had opportunity to show Paul because he's been everywhere. But now, you remember where he is when he's writing the book of Philippians? He's in prison. Yeah. He's in Rome and he's got nowhere better to go. <laughs> he's chained to a guard and he's finally kind of settled down into a place where information can catch up to the Philippians and they go, oh, he's in Rome. He's in jail. Man, we got to help this guy. And so they're sending support. They're sending help to him. Now, that's the, the, the situation that um, these last verses are, are talking about. But then in verse 11, Verse 11 through 13, we get kind of a, a parenthesis. Um, Paul is notorious for starting to talk about one thing and then stopping talking about that and just starting talking about something else with no real transition, no real like break. He's just uh, talk, 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 talk. Oh, and talk, 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 talk. Oh, and talk, talk, talk. And he's got like three or four different things that he's talking about. And then all of a sudden he's whoom, back to the first thing that he's talking about. And sometimes it can be hard to follow. Um, this is one of those situations where he starts out talking about the Philippians and their help and the fact that they've finally been able to, to track him down and they're, they're, you know, sending aid to him. But then 11 through 13, he, he takes this little parenthesis because he wants the Philippians to understand something. He's very thankful for what they're doing. He is very appreciative for the fact that they keep track of him, that they uh, send him help. But he wants them to understand something, a greater 
um, perspective on being in need and receiving help. And so he takes these three verses to, uh, to give them that perspective. And then in verse 14, he's back to the topic of their gift and their support for him. So what I want to focus on are, are these three verses here, verses 11, 12, and 13. In 11, he starts out saying, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So this is the perspective that, that Paul wants the Philippians to understand. It's in the context of them giving him support, helping him in his need. But he wants them to see that even if they weren't doing that, he would be okay. When he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, he's basically saying, you know, he's thanking the Philippians, but then he goes, but I I want you guys just to understand the reason I'm thanking you is because I love you, I appreciate you, not necessarily because of my actual need. Because I've learned something greater than uh, living according to my needs. If Paul lived according to his needs, if his perspective on life, if his emotions, if his attitude were based on his physical needs, that guy would have been a train wreck. (laughs) Because one day he had plenty. And the next day he had nothing. One day he was free. The next day he was in jail. One day he was pouring into uh, some really key leaders in the church and it was just amazing and they were growing like crazy and it was awesome. And the next day he was being betrayed. So if he had lived his life according to circumstance and according to need, he would have been all over the place. One day he would have been happiest person in the world. Oh, Paul, why are you so happy? Well, everything's great. Next day, he would have been depressed on the verge of suicide. Oh, Paul, what's wrong? Well, this guy said something mean about me. and Well, I don't have much money right now. I really like that new camel, but I can't get it. You know, and, and like circumstances and needs are not why he is thanking the Philippians. And he wants them to understand that they should not live their lives according to needs or circumstances either. So he says, not that I am speaking of being in need for, or because I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So what he's saying is, look, 
Life is not about needs, wants, desires. If it were, man, <laughs> we would all be basket cases. But it's not. What is important is that in whatever situation you are, are you content? And this is so huge. Because our tendency as human beings is to not be content. We want more. We want bigger. We want better. We don't want pain. We want ease. We want, we want, we want. And when we don't get, how do we respond? Well, a lot of the times we respond poorly. We respond with sinful attitudes, with anger, with jealousy, strife. All those things come from our discontentment. Carly and I are reading a book. It's called Idols of the Heart, written by Elise Fitzpatrick. And um, in that book, she, she explains how we as, as humans, we have these idols that we worship in our lives. And, and she starts out by, by setting forth uh, two commandments. The first commandment that, that she talks about is the first of the Ten Commandments. Anybody know what it is? This is your test. First of the Ten Commandments, anyone? Yeah, you love the Lord your God, don't worship anybody else, right? So that's the, the first commandment that she talks about, is the first of the ten, no other gods before me. And then the second commandment that she talks about is in Matthew 22, and Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment, and what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Now, why does she talk about those? Because we are commanded to worship God and God alone. Now, guess what happens if we do that? When we're talking about worship, what we're talking about is our focus, our hope, and where do we find contentment, where do we find peace, where do we find joy? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about worship. And if we worship God and God alone, then in our life, when things come up, different circumstances, if we are worshiping God, we can be content in that. Because God does not change. He never leaves. He'll never forsake us. He's always there, no matter what. And so if we focus our worship on him, we're good. But what do we do? We are scatterbrained in our worship. <laughs> and we, we want to worship God and God alone. But 
then the job creeps in. And we start to worship our career a little bit. And we spend a lot of time and energy in it. And we start to look at our career as that thing that will bring us ultimate joy and happiness and peace. If I can just get things right with my career, then life will be good. And what have we done? We've created an idol. We've taken our eyes off of God as our one true source of joy and peace and strength, and we have created an idol, and it's called your job. Well, maybe it's not your job. Maybe it's, I want to find the right person. And if I just find that right person, then ah, oh, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be like a Hallmark movie, you know? About an hour and 40 minutes into it, something's going to happen that kind of makes us not quite so sure if we're right for each other. But then by the last five minutes, it's clear that we are meant for each other and life is just going to be good. But if we are looking to the right person for joy, happiness, contentment, all of that, what have we done? We've created an idol and we're worshiping that. And when that fails us, we lose peace, we lose contentment, we lose joy. And, and then we go, God, why would you do this to me? And God says, hey, well, I told you, don't worship that person. Don't worship that career, that situation. Worship me. Because if you do, those things will fail you. And it's not as if it won't hurt. It's not as if there won't be pain or uh, disillusionment or, uh, you know, maybe frustration. Like those things are there, but you'll be able to handle those things if you have your eyes set on me. And in fact, you will learn from those things. Rather than being devastated and destroyed, you will be built up by going through those things if you have your eyes on me. So Paul is saying here, verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am, whatever presents itself, I've learned to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is this secret? Christ, right? Now, when he says, I can do all things, what does he mean? This is where our popular culture has taken this verse and done a number on it. Last night I was looking some stuff up. I found this really cool thing that you can hang on your wall. Um, it's a verse. Oh, it's Philippians 4.13. And it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And you know what it is? It's this cool looking piece of sheet metal. It's been laser cut. And it's meant for you to hang your medals on. That you have won from you know, running events or other things like that. You, 
it's a, it's a metal holder. So you hang those up there and you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can win the 100 meter dash. Is that what he's talking about? What's the problem with that? The problem is the, the, the focus is flipped. The focus of this verse, what, what Paul is trying to communicate to the Philippians is wherever you find yourself, be content in Christ. You can get through any situation with Christ. Not, I can do anything because of Christ. Do you see that? It's subtle, but it's really important. You know, and you see this at sporting events, stuff like that, where maybe somebody will have Philippians 4.13 tattooed. That's a popular thing, actually. They'll say Philippians 4.13, meaning I can do this thing because I have Christ. Maybe you can, but maybe you won't. And what happens when you lose the big game? Did Christ fail you? Or did you just not understand what that verse was talking about? I think it's that. Because, you know, failures come. We lose. We are wrong. And if this, if this verse means I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, meaning I can do anything, then, I mean, we're all Superman, right? I can do anything. This would be great. I've always wanted to fly. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ready? Here I go. It's not going to happen, right? No, because I've got it flipped. I'm, I'm looking at this as um, I get what I want because of Jesus. Whereas Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You can have contentment in any situation because you have Jesus. And whatever is going on, um, if you focus on Jesus, he will lead you through. But that doesn't guarantee that it's going to be good circumstances. Now, I don't necessarily recommend this guy as a uh, really in-depth philosopher, but I just stumbled upon a video of a guy named Jefferson Bethke. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, some of the things he says are great. Some of them are, well, he got really popular in the Christian world. And, and so he started putting a lot of stuff out and some of it's good. Some of it is kind of like, so... I just warn you, he's not the best source. But when he was talking about this verse, I thought what he said was, was pretty good. Um, he was talking about Philippians 4.13, and basically he, he says, it, it's not a verse to get you pumped up to do something awesome. It's a verse to examine your life by and one to fall back on in hard times. Again, you, you see the difference? Because we want to use this as like, or get motivated, get pumped up to do something awesome verse. 
But it's not that. That's not what it's meant to be. And if you look at the situation that Paul was in, he doesn't, he doesn't mean it to be that. If that's what he meant, then um, he, he would have been bragging about how, uh, how awesome he is and how awesome his circumstances are. And I've been able to do all this through Christ. Woo-hoo! But he's not saying that. He's saying, man, I've been through some hard stuff. I've been through some good stuff. And in all of it, I'm focused on Christ. And this is really the logical conclusion of a lot of the things that he talks about in this book of Philippians. If you look back to uh, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Basically, Paul there is telling the Philippians, hey, you guys need to live your lives as if you were citizens of heaven living here on earth. And if you do that, there's a couple of things that, that you can be guaranteed. Number one, if you do that, you'll, you'll join with me in striving for the gospel, and that's going to be an awesome thing. But you know what else is going to come? Suffering. It's just part of the deal. If you're living like a citizen of heaven, if you're doing your job, and if we're one, working together as one, the gospel's gonna go forward, but there's also gonna be suffering. And it's gonna be a struggle. And he says that in verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. It's gonna be hard. But take courage. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you look at chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. My dad made me memorize this. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. (sighs) That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Again, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Um, And if you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to stand out. You're going to shine like a star in the midst of a crooked generation. That idea of doing all things without grumbling and complaining is closely related to what Paul is trying to get the Philippians to, to think about again. Anything. Whatever circumstance, a lot, a little, whatever, all things through Christ. No grumbling, no complaining. If we live like that, we'll have a great witness. We will stand out 
in this generation and they won't understand us. They'll go, man, you guys are weird. Because we got a group of a couple hundred people here and there are some of you who, according to the world, are doing fine, but then there's others who are hurting and who have needs. And yet, nobody's complaining. Something wrong with you guys. <laughs> what is it? Well, I have Christ. And he is my hope. And he is my focus. And, yeah, I've, I've got some stuff going on, but you know what? I'm content to go through it. And, and I should mention, too, that when Paul says he's content, it doesn't mean that he just sits back and does nothing. If something bad is going on in your life, if there's a hard situation, is it okay to try and get out of it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. But, again, getting out of it is not necessarily the focus, but going, facing those challenges with a godly attitude, without grumbling, without complaining, uh, for the cause of the gospel, through the power of Christ, that's the goal. And if that happens, you'll be content. No matter what, even if you're, if you're losing your house, if you're losing something, if you have a disease that's just ravaging you, you can have contentment even in those situations with those things as the focus. One other verse to look at, uh, Philippians 3, 12, just showing how throughout this book of Philippians, Paul has been working up to this, this point that he's making here. In 3, 1 through 11, Basically, Paul has said to the Philippians, look, I don't want to brag, but if anybody could brag, it would be me. And he gives them a list uh, of all the things that, that he has done in his life, accomplishments, who he is. Um, if you look at verse 4 in chapter 3, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness, under the law blameless, but whatever gain I had I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Basically he's saying, look, I've got it all. I could brag, but it's not worth bragging. In verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. As much as Paul had to brag about, he hadn't obtained perfection. He's still being conformed into the image of Christ. And so he says, you know, it's not even worth me bragging about anything good in my life because I realize I still have a lot to do. I still get impatient. I still grumble sometimes, even though I just told you Philippians not to grumble. You know, I, I still do these things. I haven't already obtained all of this, but what do I do? I, I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Through the gospel, through salvation, 
Paul is Christ. And because of that, he can get through anything. Whatever circumstance. He hasn't obtained everything there is to be 100% holy, but he's working towards it and he's going after it with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he does that, whatever circumstances come his way, he's content because he has Christ. And he's trying to convey that to the Philippians and say, hey, this is what you guys should really be striving for. Contentment in Christ. One more proof of that. If you look back at some of the circumstances that Paul talks about in Philippians, in the, the first few verses, I mean, he's in jail. He's chained to a guard, but what is his reaction? Oh, woe is me. Nope. This is great, guys. I'm in jail. I'm chained to a guard. And you know what? Because of that, the whole Praetorian guard has heard the gospel. This is awesome. Where's his focus? On his circumstances? Nope. He gets to share the gospel with someone who's chained to him. Can't get away. It's great. <laughs> what about, oh, well, there's, there's these other guys and they're preaching the gospel and they are saying bad things about Paul and they're envious of him and they're trying to one-up Paul's ministry and so they're going out and boy, they're really preaching the gospel. That's okay, right? I mean, Paul could get angry and say, oh, yeah, those guys, they're trying to one-up me. I can't let them get a better name than I have because I'm the ultimate. Well, there you got an idol forming. And does he go there? No, he doesn't go there. He says, well, you know what? They may be jealous and maybe that's why they're preaching the gospel. But hey, guess what? They're preaching the gospel. Sweet. I hope people are getting saved. How can they do that? Because his name, his reputation is not his idol. Work in the gospel is what he worships. And that's a good thing to worship. The gospel spreading, the good news of Jesus Christ being told to those who have not heard, that's a good thing to worship. And if that is one of your focuses, then, hey, circumstances, well, I don't know. They come, they go. But if the gospel's going forth, awesome. So all of this, and really the whole book of Philippians, you can read in light of these verses here. And, and Paul is, is trying to give the, the Philippians a kind of a, a diagnostic tool for, for their life. Something to examine themselves by. And they can do this uh, in the present. And they can also look back on events in their life and say, you know what? Why was I discontent? Why did I not have peace? 
in this situation? Why did I feel it necessary to get angry and yell at this person and sin? Chances are one of the other idols that you worship was offended. So take Paul's situation. Somebody's preaching the gospel and they're doing it to say, ha, I'm better than Paul. Paul's pride could have been an idol. And had it have been an idol, what would his response be when he hears that somebody else is preaching the gospel in order to be better than him? If he was worshiping his pride, could have been a lot of things. Most likely, anger, talk bad about that guy, bring him down, bring myself up. Because he's worshiping pride, my name. But if he's worshiping God and the gospel and the truth, he's content. You see the difference? So this is a a diagnostic for us. Examine our lives. What is it that gets us riled up? What is it that when we are sinning, why? What are we worshiping in that moment? Are we worshiping God or are we worshiping something else? Are we going through this with Christ or are we going through this on my own strength because I want to do something, whatever it is? Are you doing all things through him who strengthens you or are you trying to do something on your own? And this is a a diagnostic tool for us, but it's also a great comfort if we understand what Paul is thinking about here because it it really does mean that you can go through any circumstance of life. It really means that. With Christ and God as your focus, you can get through anything. It may turn out painful, but we can learn from pain. We can be healed of pain. But if Christ is the focus, you can be content in those situations. And, you know, this message to the Philippians is is put right in this bigger portion talking about their, their support for him because he's happy for that support and he's praising God that he has support, but he just wants the Philippians to to know. I'm so thankful for you guys, but my true happiness and contentment in life is not based on the fact that you guys are supporting me. It's based on Christ. And that is where you guys should put your true faith and hope. Put it in him. In fact, Philippians, you guys shouldn't even put much hope in me because I might fail you, you know? You're giving me this great gift and that's awesome, but I might fail. But Christ will never fail, so put your hope in him and continue to do those things that you know you would want you to do. So wrap things up here. These verses are are a great contrast to the way that 
the world would tell you to live. The world would say success, success, success at all costs. Make a name for yourself. Go after what you want. Not necessarily bad to have ambition and to go after certain things, but what do you do when they fail? Have you made that an idol? And is that what you have been going after? And then when it fails, you're just crushed? Hopefully not. Hopefully you are going after that and putting energy into it, but still with, with God as your focus. He is the one you worship. And you worship him through different avenues of your life. But if he is in the middle, you can't fail. In the sense that you will be content in him. What you actually do may literally fail. <laughs> but even those failures are wins if you are worshiping God and going through those situations in Christ. So an encouragement from Paul to the Philippians, I think is a great encouragement for us. And I, I hope for myself that um, I would keep this in the forefront of my mind. You know, am I living my life through Christ because he's the one who can strengthen me? Or am I trying to do it on my own? Am I trying to go after other things? Have other things become my primary source of contentment and worship? Because if so, man, I got to get back. I got to confess those things and deny them and come back to the God who says, you will have no other gods before me. Because that's the only sure place to put your hope, to put your contentment is in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to look at your word. And I hope that you have confirmed convicted, um, each one of us. Uh, Lord, I pray that as those who uh, claim your name, that we would uh, truly worship you and truly have our focus on you as we go through the circumstances of life. Lord, we know that you give us strength, that you give us hope, you give us peace and comfort, no matter what happens in our life. And that is such a, an awesome Awesome privilege to have in you. So Lord, we pray that, uh, that we would encourage one another to, to focus on you and what you are doing in the circumstances of, of our lives. Help us to not be prone to uh, doubt you or to look to other things instead of you. Lord, we can do all things through Christ. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would give us strength to live that in our daily lives. And we ask this in your name. Amen.